Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. So this is a show where I talk to other amazing professionals in the healing biz about the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. I am so excited you've joined us today. Before we get into all the business, how are you? I really, truly just want you to pause for a second and tune into yourself and just be honest with yourself about how you're doing because the collective energies right now are batshit bonkers out of this world crazy. This week, I'm recording this in the midst of Mercury retrograde. This week has been just an outright disaster in so many ways. And I just I just wanted to take a moment to have you reflect on how you're doing. And I guess wonder, you know, self-care is not the only answer, but it's certainly one part of the puzzle. And I just want to give you a moment to ask yourself, is there anything you need to do for you? And if you're listening to this podcast, which you are, because if you weren't, you couldn't hear what I'm saying right now. Oh, my God, I've just blown my mind. Anyway, if, you, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, my hope is that this might be part of your self-care. And I am certain that this conversation today will feel like a soothing, wonderful balm to the wound that we call coronavirus. Blech. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I had something I wanted to share with you. You know, we've been talking a lot about power, my relationships to power, my musings about relationships to power. And I had an experience that happened this week that really is kind of a different, it's something I hadn't thought of and I, I wanted to share it with you. So basically what happened was I wanted to work with a, another professional, not a therapist, but somebody who, who's in the profession adjacent and wanted to work with them. And at one point, they canceled our work together. And basically, the gist of what I got was it didn't feel like I was a safe person to work with. And my instant reaction was, what the fuck? How could they possibly think this about me? What's wrong with me? What the fuck could I have possibly done? And I panicked. I called one of my good friends. She talked me off the ledge. And then once I was kind of regulated, I was able to sit with what happened. And the thing that I came up with was that two opposite truths can be true at the same time. And that might sound impossible, but it's one of the things that has come out of my personal NARM work. So I've shared with everyone that I identify as a sexual abuse survivor, and it's been really interesting to watch myself hold both sides of, I know that my parents did things and didn't do things that put me in unsafe situations, and there are things about them that I also loved as well. And it's a real mind fuck when you try to sit with the person who was supposed to protect me hurt me, right? And I love and care about this person. And, you know, that's kind of what I came up with in this scenario was that I didn't do anything wrong. And yet this person felt harmed just by the relational field that was created between us. And it made me think about how, again, just this idea of power. So, you know, I walk around the world 
not necessarily thinking about the power that I hold, especially when it's other professionals, right? Because if it's somebody who I feel is at the same level in their career and they're doing big, cool, amazing things, then I'm going to assume that they look at me the way that I look at them, right, as, as a peer, And this situation made me wonder if I should not hold that, if I should always be, you know, I I don't feel responsible for what happens to someone else based on them potentially giving away their power. But at the same time, I want to be cognizant of that and know that even when I am not intending to impose power, that I just have power. And that that can cause harm if somebody is giving that to me unwillingly, even if I'm not asking for it, right? And I think that's something that is way more subtle than I've ever thought about before. Because I always think about, you know, if people don't have relationships with their power and then they, you know, misuse it and, you know, people willingly give it away. But sometimes it's really very simple and people allow themselves to move past boundaries they didn't even know they had. And that's when harm happens. And so, I don't know, I share that story with you because it's something that just happened recently and feels really relevant to a lot of the conversations that we've had on this show. So for what it's worth, there you go. So next, I wanted to say that Patreon, I'm doing something a little different these days, and I've told you about Patreon before. It's a space where if you're interested in supporting the podcast by giving money, which you can do as little as a dollar a month, uh, you can do so by finding me on patreon.com, Conversations with a Wounded Healer. And I am allowing people to send me voicemails. And when you send me a voicemail, you can ask any question you want and I will answer it. Uh, I mean... There are certain questions I probably won't answer, but most of them I actually probably will. So if you have thoughts, if you have questions, if there's something that you really want to get to me directly, you can join Patreon and then you can ask me whatever the hell you want and it'll be super duper fun. So check it out, www.patreon.com and search for Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Now for today's guest. OMG, I'm so excited. So Marvin Tolliver is our guest today. And Marvin is a licensed clinical social worker born and raised in Oakland, California. Marvin is a radical therapist, radical educator, consultant, guest lecturer, and dope human. So please enjoy my wonderful conversation with Marvin Tolliver. Marvin, welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. And I have to tell you, one of my staff members, her name is Anne. She posts reposted something of yours from Instagram today. Mm-hmm. And I sent her a message and I was like, I'm interviewing him today. And she's like, oh my God, will you tell him I love him? Wait, is that weird? I really love him. And I look at his stuff all the time. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> so Anne, this one's for you. Hi, Anne. Did you know that you had fans like that loving you out there? No, it's interesting that you say that. I was just on another call and I do consulting with someone. And so I supervise, I'm not consulting, but I supervise someone and she has this like program that she has. And she has basically like a community of social workers and they learn Mm -hmm. together, grow together. And she, you know, wanted me to come in and speak for like, you know, a bit. And I was just like, oh yeah, sure. And she says, oh, my God, they're so excited and like they're big fans. And it's just like, what? (laughs) A fan? I don't understand. 
then another space, someone, there was like a professional meeting. <laughs> and at the end, they're like, I'm kind of fangirling over here, over you. And I was just like, for why? <laughs> like, but it's super humbling. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's new territory for me, mm-hmm. but I don't hate it. I'm a Leo. I love energy. I mean, I love. I oh, love yeah. Too. Okay. But- <laughs> okay. What's your, what's your rising sign? Oh, I don't know. <gasps> oh, okay. All right. We'll do that later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll read your chart later. But yeah, so you don't hate it. I don't hate it, but we'll see what happens as the followers grow and the exposure increases. I don't know. We'll see. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's so interesting. Somebody posted the other day that, you know, followers on Instagram don't equal success in real life. Right. And I think people don't understand that, right? Like we have podcasts and we have followers, but that doesn't change my day-to-day life. It just means that I have people who love me and people who hate me on social media, right? (laughs) Yes, that is exactly right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I really want to get into the things that you post and what's been coming up for you as a result of that, because I think that's just so what's happening in our culture. But before we do that, I'd love to hear your origin story. Like, why did you become a social worker? What, What was that journey like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I love answering this question. So I have two different answers for this question. So I think the warm and fuzzy kind of answer is like, I want to, you know, as I saw, this isn't warm and fuzzy. This is actually true too. But I saw a lot of injustice in the world from, you know, homelessness to, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement to harm against queer folks. I saw international harm. I saw domestic, I saw it everywhere. And it's like, are people just okay with this? Like, are we just going to sit and let people suffer? And for me, I couldn't, you know, I had to do something. So I really kind of got an interest in this work. I did two years with an AmeriCorps program called City Year Hmm. in Miami, Florida. We worked in the most underserved schools in the community. I think at the time, Miami-Dade County was the either sixth or seventh worst school district in Florida, in the state of Florida. And I was seeing that we were helping the kids with their, with their work, but they were coming to us with like, oh, there was gang violence. Oh, my cousin just got murdered. Oh, my mom and dad got in a, you know, got the police called on them. And they didn't help us with any of that, (laughs) you know? And so after that, similarly, I was a a admissions counselor for a program called Job Corps. Mm -hmm. And you know, we had to do interviews with the young folks that wanted to come in. And similarly, they're like, oh, yeah, well, I was sexually assaulted or this gang jumped me and continuously jumped me because I didn't want to join their gang. And it was just like, OK, like all I could do was either say, yes, you're in the program or no, you're not in the program. Mm-hmm. And for me, I had to do more. Like mm-hmm. I, for me, it was like I can't just sit and then like, like let you go t- to that you know, area of, of the program without doing more. So I saw a need, I saw a need and I, and I know who I am. I'm a helper. I'm a natural helper. I've always been someone who, who loves to help, who love to, you know, keep the peace between if I have two friends that are fighting, even in middle school, I'm like, Hey, Hey, <laughs> stop guys. <laughs> so that's like kind of my, my one answer. My other mm-hmm. answer is because I needed one. I wish I had a social worker or a therapist yes. when I was in middle school or in high school growing up in Oakland, California, uh, queer black man in a heteronormative hypermasculine environment i found myself hiding lots of myself hating myself hating my skin color mm. because i thought i was too dark hating my very mm. black features because big lips broad nose nappy hair mm. like that's 
not considered attractive so much. So a lot of identity issues growing up, a lot of self-confidence, self-worth, self-image stuff growing up that I really wish I just had someone, some adult, someone that's like, hey, first of all, I'm safe. You can Mm -hmm. talk to me. Second, you are okay. Exactly how you are. You know, I didn't have that, you know, and, and I've gone through life and I'm, I'm at a, you know, a space of, of self-love now, but I know there are mm. so many others out there, young people, older folks that are struggling just with themselves. And I want to be that for them. I want to let folks know that you are okay exactly the way you are. You know, what's not okay. Our shitty systems, mm-hmm. white supremacy, patriarchy, mm-hmm. capitalism, mm-hmm. those aren't okay. Right. But those also get into our brains and they make us, you know, really feel like shit about ourselves a lot of the time. Yeah, pretty much everyone. (laughs) Right. Because even I mean, a thing that I talk about is that white people are also impacted by white supremacy and capitalism and patriarchy and and all of that. So it really does. It really does harm everyone. Well, one of the things that I really love on your Instagram is how you're very vocal about being a bisexual black man yeah. and how that can be a really stigmatized identity. And I'm curious what that was like for you, your decision to be really public with that, how it's been received too. Yeah. So I, you know, have, again, struggled with my sexuality for quite a while. It wasn't until probably what year, the 2021, probably. I know, uh, right? What year is it? (laughs) Who even knows? What is time? It wasn't until probably two or three years ago that I actually, quote unquote, came out or, you know, allowed Mm. folks in. And the biggest hurdle for me was my immediate family. So my sister, my mom, and my dad. My sister and my mom, I was like, they're going to be fine. My dad Mm. is known for saying some homophobic things, Mm. is known for not always saying the right things about folks. Mm -hmm. And so that was the biggest hurdle for me. And so after I told my dad and he's like, you know, it doesn't matter who you love. It matters, you know, to me if that you're a good person and, you know, Mm. crying session, obviously. Um, Right, right. after, After that, I was like, nobody can tell me shit. Like my family said, I'm fine. You know, the people that are in my village and in my community also like love me regardless of whatever. And so I have a solid, a super solid foundation. Mm. And so now it's like, okay, well, there are other Black men struggling mm-hmm. with their sexuality that I'm currently working with right now, today. Right. That I'm working with an individual that I'm working with in groups. And this is a conversation that homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, just like the anti-queerness is just everywhere. And mm-hmm. we are not able to just be our true, authentic selves. And mm-hmm. I look at Lil Nas X. Mm-hmm. I love him. Yes. Love how free he is. Yeah. I don't want to say like I'm at the, you know, the popularity of Lil Nas X because obviously not. But if they can see someone who is sitting in their identity, who's sitting sitting in yeah. their sexuality, completely comfortable with it. If they see someone that looks like me, and I and I know my privilege, I know that I'm masculine presenting. I know that I am taller. I know that I do like traditionally masculine things like sports or hip hop or whatever else. Right. And I think that's a privilege for me too, because I can speak to heterosexual men and say like, Hey, this is what's going on. But I can also identify with queer men just like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I understand your struggle. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that we just need bridges, right. Mm -hmm. We just need knowledge. We just need to debunk these stereotypes and these false narratives around who 
we think other folks are, who we think other groups really are. Mm -hmm. And just like be open instead of being closed. Leaning towards is instead of avoiding and leaning away. Right, right. And the conformity that is suggested by white supremacy, it is like, you know, heterosexual and Mm -hmm. we're supposed to look the same and do the same thing. And, you know, that's why so many people feel pressure to get married and have children and and all of these things. And I love that we're in an age now where therapists are being more open with our identities Mm -hmm. so that we can say, yes, I have been in your shoes. I have experienced, you know, X, Y, Z, and I'm, I'm here with you and can hold your hand with that. Yes. I'm also bi. So bye five. Hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I love that. Oh, that's wonderful. And I say this in my sessions. I say this in my group as well, is that indigenous cultures and a lot of African nations were fully okay. Yes. With queer folks, with trans folk, with non-binary folks. I went to San Diego State for my undergrad. And in a sociology class, there was a group of folks called the Burdashes, I think. They're, I, don't, I know I'm butchering the pronunciation, but these were folks that had both masculine and feminine energies in that one mm-hmm. person. And right. they were revered, like they were held in such high regard mm-hmm. because they had both energies in them. In African nations, sometimes they wouldn't assign a gender until the child was three, four, five, six mm. years old. Wow. And so a lot of folks don't know that. So white supremacy and religion really came and just said, hey, you're supposed to be this one way. And that's Mm -hmm. it. I don't want to hear anything else about it. Right. Yeah. Do you know Shauna Murray Brown? I do not. Okay. Well, I have to introduce you first. She needs to be on your podcast. She's amazing. She has a course that she does periodically called Decolonizing Therapy for Black Folks. Mm -hmm. And there was a whole module on queerness and the representation in Black and Indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting because I'm obviously white and I still saw myself in all the material Mm. and I was just like, oh my gosh, this feels like a coming home for me to learn that, yeah, this is not, it's not weird. It's not bad. It's not wrong, of course. And it's, yeah, I'm just leaning into all of that. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interrupting this awesome conversation to share about an upcoming opportunity for mental health professionals. You asked for a group for mental health professionals, so I'm giving you just that. In our lifetime, it's never been more challenging to be a mental health professional. Our jobs, our clients, our communities place various demands on our energy and our spirit. But in order to offer our best, I believe we must take care of ourselves and do our inner work as well. As wounded healers, we're called to attend to our own recovery and transformation in order to support the healing of others. Wounded Healers Virtual Group is an eight-week group for mental health professionals led by me. In this group, we will create a sacred container to support one another's healing, integrating spirituality, principles of the neuroaffective relational model, shame resilience, and liberation psychology. We'll use the chakra system as a frame for our weekly meetings. And we'll be meeting Monday nights starting March 7th, 2022 on Zoom. And we currently have a discount for current contributing Patreon members. For more info and to register, please visit www.tinyurl.com slash woundedhealersvg-1. Now back to our conversation. You mentioned religion. You just sprinkled that on there. So yeah. 
the stereotype is that, you know, of course, black people are a monolith. I'm shaking my head as I say that, um, that black folks often are religious. And mm-hmm. that's part of the reason that there's a lot of homophobia in the black community. But I'm curious your experience, because I see you talking a lot about you're like, hey, church people, <laughs> like, let's yeah. think about this a different way. So what's your relationship there? Yeah, so I actually grew up in the church, uh, Baptist church, Allen Temple Baptist Church in Oakland, California. And we stopped going because my parents kind of started arguing. My mom wanted us to go. My dad was kind of like, they should Hmm. be able to make their own decisions. I did not want to go to church on a Sunday morning. So I was just like, yeah, I'm going to stay home too. I also went to a Catholic high school. And so there were a lot of messages that were clearly anti-LGBTQ. And you know, the idea that like we're going to go to hell and that we are sinners and that, well, <laughs> what's the Adam and Eve, not uh, Adam and Steve. Like that's yeah. oh my God. Um, But I always bring up religious trauma because it's real. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't want to hear about it because right. religion can be incredibly helpful for people, Right, incredibly helpful for people. And I don't want to discount that. But it can also be incredibly harmful for folks, especially if you are queer. Mm-hmm. And not just queer. I'm working with a woman right now who is not married and has multiple children. And her family and her church community has mm-hmm. kind of treated her differently because of that. Because right. you're supposed to be married. You're supposed to be married first and then have kids. You know, you're supposed to do the thing, do right. things, quote unquote, the right way. And if you don't, you're kind of just like, I won't say exiled, but you're definitely you can be. not considered as part of that community still. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, I don't even know how long ago it was, but I, I did an IG live with a reverend. Her name is Jackie. Oh, what's her name? Jackie. Oh, she's going to kill me. Anyway, <laughs> Reverend Jackie. Um, and I really asked her some difficult questions. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she said, which I absolutely loved, was that sometimes the church gets it wrong. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I got Because when you hear about church and hear about God, it's like they've never done wrong ever, ever, ever. Well, that's the problem, right? right? Because if there's no checks and balances to the power, Mm -hmm. then that's bullshit. Well, the check is is the devil. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Right. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's God or it's the devil. There's no gray. Mm -hmm. There's no in between. And obviously, as humans, we're way more complex, complex than that. Mm -hmm. And so I see it. Mentioning Lil Nas X, you know, a lot of people are, are from the religious community are very uncomfortable. Right. I mean, he did give the devil a, a lap dance in one of his videos. Well done, friend. Well amazing. done. But, you know, I, they're just like, well, what about the children? The children are fine. I know, right? What about the children? Some of the children are gay. Some of the children are trans. So the children need to see this because they need to see themselves. <laughs> and some of the children that are to our knowledge, heterosexual, are fully okay. They're like, oh yeah, that's Brianna's two moms. Cool. Right, right. (laughs) And that's it. That's the end of the discussion, right? And so it's unfortunate that people use an institution like Christianity, Mm -hmm. but not only Christianity, but that's the one that was most prevalent in my life to really harm people, to really not allow folks to live Mm -hmm. their truths and be their full authentic selves. It's unfortunate. What do you believe now spiritually? What's your orientation? Ooh, (laughs) that's something that is growing and changing. I do believe that there is a creator. I do believe in ancestors and like that the blood Mm -hmm. of my ancestors do run through me. 
I think that's as far as kind of it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that God is a man or a woman or, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that. I even challenge some of my clients who are believers to reimagine what your God looks like. Right. Because blonde haired, blue eyed, white, white man. God. Why Jesus. Right. Ooh. I mean, is that really what they think that Jesus was white? Like, I mean, haven't we debunked this by now that he's a Middle do. Eastern man? Some people do. <laughs> I mean, some people like to hold on. Like, you know, that saying this is how we've always done it. But right. like, this is what we're going to stick to. Mm-hmm. And so any new information, they're just like fake news. Those are the same people saying fake news, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, some people have their God as a woman. Some people like have their God with tattoos and piercings. Mm-hmm. Some people have their God and they curse with them, <laughs> you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, it really is a personal journey as well. In my opinion, of course, you know, I don't want to ruffle it. I do want to ruffle feathers, actually. That's, that's I was going to say kind of my whole my whole thing. Right. <laughs> but it's really about love at the end of the day. How can exactly. you be your authentic self? How can you love each other and mm-hmm. not cause harm? Right. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do with I work a lot with addiction and mm-hmm. some of my clients who've struggled with a higher power, you know, I'm like, yeah, what do you want your higher power to look like? And I had one client who was like, yeah, mine's a goddess and she's got tattoos and she's got piercings. <laughs> right. And I'm like, that's fucking awesome. And yeah. it doesn't matter. You know, it's, I am of the belief that we, our human brains can't even conceptualize what God is. Yeah. And so yeah. of course we have, you know, we've made God in our image. And what's the word? Anthropomorphized God. I think that's the thing where you make something human that's not, right? Mm-hmm. We can't comprehend, but we're so, we want certainty. We want to understand. We want to know. Yeah. And that is like the downfall of humanness, mm-hmm. right? Don't yeah. you think? Yeah. We can't just sit in the unknown. Right. And yeah. sometimes we have to, and that's okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to geek out on Shauna because I love her so much, but she had sent out an article today about decolonizing the decolonization movement. And yeah, written by, I think, was it also a reverend? I'll send it to you because I think you'll find it really interesting. But the thing in there about uncertainty, so as I'm reading this as a white person and it's definitely like very black centered. And so the things that come up for me that are challenging is not that white people have to give up their power. I'm like, yes, 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 please. Fine. It's the part where I have to let go of certainty and I have to embrace ambiguity Mm. and I have to let go of my linear expectation of progress Mm. and my linear understanding of time. And I am, I'm trying so hard. I've been doing Workaholics Anonymous because that's been a real struggle for me. And there's mm-hmm. so much that is married with anti-racism work and decolonization work. And I, as I was reading, it just hit me. I was like, this is where I am most deeply colonized is mm-hmm. the way that I have to understand what it is that I'm supposed to do for work, what it is I'm contributing, what time does it start? What time does it end? Mm-hmm. And I literally can't even conceptualize how to do it differently. Mm. Moving into private practice, it's been interesting because time has looked so different for me from when I started to where I am now. Mm-hmm. When I started, COVID had just, I had just quit my full-time job with, oh, the, shit. with the school in Philadelphia. No and way. Like, I'm free now. And then they're like, COVID, everything shut down. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I had a stable job, had checks coming in every two weeks. And now what did I just do? And so at that time I was working probably 
oh, it had to be eight to 12 hour days for uh, probably yeah. about a week or two until my body was just like, yeah, so you need a break or we're just going to go ahead and shut down. Right. <laughs> and my body shut down. I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to be on this couch. But now it's, I'm listening to my body so much more. If I need to cancel a session because I won't be at my best, then I'll do it. Mm-hmm. If there's a meeting that is scheduled for one time, but they want to push it forward, I'm like, all right, if I guess if it's in my schedule, that's fine. I think about internalized capitalism, mm-hmm. right? And I think about this idea that our worth is connected to our level of productivity, right? And that's why when COVID first started and people were in lockdown doing work at home, people mm-hmm. felt bad for taking longer lunch breaks, right? Mm-hmm. People try to mirror that eight hour workday at home. And then people are like, I want to take a nap. And then they would feel bad because they weren't mm-hmm. productive or that idea like, oh, I have to learn a language. I have to learn a new skill. No, you don't. You can just sit, you can rest, you can go at your own pace. Mm-hmm. But there's this idea that we have to be constantly producing this grind. We have to be on our grind, grind culture. Mm-hmm. You know, for me now, it's very much like, no, well, my colleague at the Radical Therapy Center says, we move at the speed of trust. Mm, absolutely. It can be really obvious stuff like that, but it can also be something that I've been really working on with my sponsor is efficiency. Mm. Really valuing efficiency and productivity over compassion and care. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about like even the thing of like, I will instead of carrying two rounds of groceries, I will hurt myself to put all of the grocery bags on my arm from the car to my house. I will carry things and then like drop stuff, break dishes because I'm just trying to fucking be efficient. That is internalized capitalism, Mm. right? Because if I'm efficient, then I'm more productive do what? Like taking my dishes from the from the kitchen to the couch? No, that's that's not productivity. But like that's what's ingrained in me so deeply. And it's mm. gosh, it's so painful when I recognize those subtle ways that it catches me. And man, have I struggled with rest. It's either I'm like 100 percent on or I crash. Mm. And it's not sustainable either. Mm-hmm. Not at all. And that's not uncommon. I do a lot of work, mm-hmm. a self-care workshop. And we talk about internalized mm. capitalism. We talk about rest. We talk about like building the habit of integrating self-care into not just like getting that massage or, or, you know, getting your Mm -hmm. nails done, but how do I make sure I I rest during the workday? How do I make sure I take 10 minutes to just close my eyes and breathe during the workday? Right. Right. Because that's important too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm also of the belief that like there's a creator, higher power, not necessarily, definitely not white Jesus. Um, And I've been recognizing like trying to actually do the 12 steps and think about, okay, what does it look like to be able to turn over something to a power greater than myself. So I've set reminders Mm. in my phone and it's that in my workaholic addiction, like that is the best thing because I was having a meeting yesterday and I was freaking out about the meeting. And then I got the reminder on my phone, like, what about HP? And I was like, okay, if I were to turn this over to a power greater than myself, what would that look like? And I was able to kind of put aside the fears and the anxieties that were coming up about the meeting and just be like, I'm going to trust that whatever universe creator is in my highest good and will support whatever's supposed to come out of this meeting. Mm -hmm. I know that's probably hard (laughs) to do, but I think you sometimes also realize that like, Things work out okay. Right. Things will be okay. 
you can loosen the grip on the reins. You can, you can let things just kind of happen and things will be okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even when they're not okay. Even when they're not. Yeah. Well, do you consider yourself a healer? Ooh, that's an interesting. <laughs> I was going to post about this actually, but so I have a hard time using that specific term because I often compare mental health to physical health. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't call a doctor a healer, but I know that they aid in the healing process. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's kind of how I see myself. I'm not actually doing any healing. I'm like, I'm not laying hands on anyone. I don't have any like mm-hmm. magic that's going <laughs> to make people's trauma go away. But I can definitely be helpful in assisting someone unpack some trauma or learn some coping skills or whatever else that looks like. And so I think I assist the healing process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I dig it. And so many people respond that way, especially people who have had experience in the church that might not have been so great because there is a connotation of, yes, someone doing something to you. And truly, even if you were laying hands on someone, because I'm I'm a Reiki master and we always talk about, I'm not giving you Reiki. I am igniting the Reiki energy that's already within you to mm. do your own healing. Mm-hmm. So even hands-on healers are still just vessels and facilitators. Mm-hmm. If people do call themselves healers out there, I support you 100%. That's just not what I'm going to call myself. Yeah. Well, it's all about the way you're defining it. And I define, I say that we're all healers. And so I am a healer, just as you are a healer and just as everybody else is. But it's been really interesting doing this podcast and recognizing that we think that we understand what people are saying just because we're speaking English together. But we are holding very different meanings for words. And so it's so crucial to really, especially when clients are saying something, to be like, so help me understand what healer means to you. Help me understand what depression means to you, what anxiety Mm -hmm. means to you, all of those things. Yeah. So what about the term wounded healer? How do you feel about that? Wounded healer? Ooh. (laughs) If I were... He clutches his neck. (laughs) 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 Well, no, because it's such an interesting term because I think if I were to call myself a healer and if I were to call folks in this field healers, I think that many, if not all of us, are probably wounded healers. Mm -hmm. We've experienced something, we've seen something, we've gone through something that has shaken us to our core. Mm -hmm. Whether it was death or any other type of loss, whether it was our own trauma, Whatever it was, most, and I won't say all, but most helpers, I like the term helpers, but helpers, healers, therapists, whoever, have probably gone through something. And that's why they're deciding to go into this work. Mm -hmm. And so I think the wounded healers are probably the most efficient healers, in my opinion. The ones who've done their work. Yeah. Because we can either use our, our wounds as a way to project our stuff on other people or they can be lenses to help us see others more clearly. Yes. And thank you for adding that. The ones that have gone through their own healing journey as well. Because mm-hmm. some yeah. people can project their own stuff on the people and end up causing more harm. There are a lot of really fucked up therapists. Yes. We were just in a group supervision at Radical Therapy Center yesterday. We just were talking <laughs> about how therapists are. I mean, even in my, so in my consultation calls that I do with my individual clients, They're like, oh, I I saw this therapist, but, you know, if it was a Black client, yeah, well, they told me that I was uh, just being too sensitive when I talked about microaggressions. And it's just like, 
uh, I had another person tell me that they did couples counseling and it was their partners. And I don't, in my mind, this should not happen, but it was their partner's individual therapist first. And then they became their couples therapist. Agreed. I don't think, yeah, Yeah. I don't think that should happen. You know, so all of these things are happening and it's just like, you all are supposed to be the ones that are helping folks. And uh, unfortunately you're not helping folks in the right ways. Mm-hmm. And that's partly, you know, why melanated social work is what it is. That's partly why I'm also so outspoken about around how my therapy is very different. It's very radical about how posts like things that I have actually said in session. Right. <laughs> um, and it's probably, and they're probably things that you wouldn't expect a therapist to say, mm-hmm. but that's my style. And that's how I get through to my clients and it works. Well, there's a realness and an authenticity that I think is refreshing because when I saw my, she wasn't my first therapist, but I feel like she was my first therapist when I was like conscious of what was happening because I was in grad school at the time Mm -hmm. and she was very straight psychodynamic. So really not a lot of, I didn't know her very much at all. Mm -hmm. And I felt so uncomfortable with that. Like, I am a relational therapist. Now I understand what that is and how important that is for me to feel connected and feel seen and feel love. I think that's crucial in the therapy space. And so I think that when we show up in really just very minor ways, like I actually have an apology that I owe a client because I've been a flaky bitch. This is a client that I I don't see weekly. And so Mm. it's sometimes hard to fit people in. And I have been flaky and not responding to my texts yet. And I have to show up and be like, you know what? I fucked this up. And I'm so sorry if you feel like you can't count on me Mm -hmm. because I didn't show up in a way that really serves you appropriately. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we've been together for years, so I know that things will be fine, but not all therapists are going to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's something that I mentioned in the first couple of sessions is that sometimes, you know, we make these connections as therapists about someone's lives and sometimes we're wrong. But can I say, I want you to let me know when I'm wrong. (laughs) Just because I have this title, just because I have these degrees or anything like that, doesn't mean that I'm all, I'm right about everything. You know, your life better than I do. Mm -hmm. I'm here to learn you first and then assist you. And so always let me know if I'm, you know, not on the right track. There's another woman who is uh, who identifies as, as Afro-Latinx, and I called her a non-Black person of color. And she mm. came the next session. She's like, hey, I have to correct you. Hmm. And I was just like, oh, shit, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and we're still working together and everything. But a lot of clients don't have that comfort to challenge right. their therapist or to correct their therapists about different things. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, that's not a good therapeutic relationship. I want my clients to be able to say, hey... Uh, you're maybe not on the right track here or you made a mistake here and that's okay. And I welcome it. Yeah. Well, and I think too, part of that is, is the power differential and Mm -hmm. something that I've really, really been tuning into how power shows up in different relationships. And I think you and I are very similar in like, we're going to fucking speak our mind. We know we're going to get hate for it, whatever. Fuck you. We're good. Mm-hmm. But so many people are are not like that. And even when, because I'm a boss too. So I know even when I am telling you that I'm available for feedback, correction, yeah. all of that, they're not necessarily going to say that to me because that's not their experience anywhere else, mm-hmm. right? And so we can create this safe space, but that doesn't mean people are going to take us up on it. Right. And that 
is again, just a product of the system that's been right. created. And there need to be more people like us who truly can take it. And some therapists might say like, oh yeah, correct me. And then they are like defensive. Mm. I mean, that's how my parents were. (laughs) My mom would be like, yeah, tell me, give me, you know, whatever, tell me anything. And then I'd say my mind, well, that's not okay. Well, fuck Mm. you, bitch. Why'd you, why'd you ask for my opinion? (laughs) Right. Right. That power dynamic is so important to name. We talk about that. So melanated social work, Um, (laughs) we created what we call liberation counseling. And part of practicing is decreasing and trying to eliminate the power dynamic that exists between therapist and client because mm-hmm. there's an inherent power dynamic. Right. Right. And so I name that in my sessions. I'm like, look, I might be a therapist, but I am a regular person. <laughs> you will hear mm-hmm. this. I'm not perfect. I might um, have followers on Instagram, but I'm still a regular person. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not perfect. And just, mm-hmm. just really and not using an, you know, to my post today, not using this clinical jargon that Mm -hmm. like most folks that I sometimes don't even understand, (laughs) you know, and and really just we're having a conversation. That's what I wanted to feel like. It doesn't feel like therapy. I want it to feel like a conversation Mm -hmm. in which you're leading. And I'm just asking some questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking of melanated social work, I'd love to hear more about that. And I guess a two-part question, Mm -hmm. because you're having some amazing fucking guests on there, by the way. I was like just scrolling through like, holy (laughs) fuck, you got some heavy hitters. What scares the shit out of you about the work that still needs to be done? And what gives you hope? Mm. It's a good question. I think what scares me is that things won't change is that people will be too just rooted in their like hatred mm-hmm. or in their misinformation, which a lot of times really is rooted in fear, but they will be so confident in where they are mm-hmm. that the needle won't move. That scares me a little bit. I think specifically for melanated social work, what scares me is these larger institutions that have money and power and Mm-hmm. a lot of influence could, you know, paint us out to be things that we're not, be people that we're not. I think that's kind of the the fear of also just generally being a public figure is that someone could say something, someone could accuse me of something mm-hmm. and people will take that as truth. Right. And that could, you know, really ruin all the, you know, really important and dope work that I've been doing as an individual that Melanated Social Work has been doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that scares me a bit. Mm. What gives me hope is that there are people who truly see us, who truly see me and are just like, oh no, I know this person has nothing but good intentions. What also gives me hope, you know, kind of more macro is that there are so many individuals doing this same work all over the world, mm-hmm. right? We don't see them because, right. you know, we're in our little silos or in our little microcosms, but there are people doing this work all over the world. Yep. People that are listening from all over the world. For our podcast, we can see the different countries where people are listening from. Mm-hmm. Australia, right? yeah, Kenya, Toronto, London, Germany. Like there's so many, and it's just like, you listen to us. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then it's just, but you're like consistently listening to us also. And so something about our message is resonating with you. 
mm-hmm. either in your own brain or maybe the work that you do in your specific country or location. Mm-hmm. And that gives me hope. It's like, okay, people are really listening and learning and hopefully yeah. putting things into action. Yeah. Yeah. And I am going to, there's two people I'm going to introduce to you that you need to have on your podcast. So okay. Shauna Marie Brown and Claude Kayamit calling y'all in. Cause like, you'll really enjoy conversations with them. All right. I want to go back to, I feel like, was I sensing some fear in you about, you know, being this public figure and potentially you didn't use this word, but I don't know if it's canceled, like if that's coming up for you, but I share that too. There's just something about having enough followers that enough people are paying attention, enough hateful people making shitty comments and somebody just taking something the wrong way, which I keep forgetting just how binary and black and white and concrete we are. Mm. Cause if I put something out there and somebody reads it the wrong way and they'll like make this post, like my post that I think has the most likes and comments is one about, it was a tweet that said, if we're recommending that everybody goes to therapy, there's something wrong with the system, mm-hmm. which you and I are like, duh, right. Yes. We have to make system change. I can't even count the number of people who've said, why are you telling people not to go to therapy? Like mm-hmm. that's not at all what it says. Right. So I, I really hear you and I understand and share that fear with you of like, we're trying to create space for radical change. And there's so many people who are not anywhere near ready for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then how do we suffer yeah. <laughs> as a result of sticking our necks out? Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a post that I post every once in a while, actually, just so people <laughs> always remember, you know, where I stand. There's a pie chart and it says like things that I care about or things I consider. And I think pink is black lives. And then mm-hmm. the blue color is white, like white feelings. Mm-hmm. The pie yeah. chart is all pink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Basically saying like, I care about black lives, right. not so much about white feelings. Right. And the number of people that comment <laughs> about how I'm a racist, how like white people don't matter. Just all of yeah. these things. And I'm just like, I'm not saying any of this. That's not what that says. Right. It's baffling to me. Mm-hmm. It's baffling how people will see something and completely miss mm-hmm. the point of what was posted mm-hmm. because of their own stuff. Yeah. It's wonderful that we have social media because we have voices where we wouldn't have had voices or power. If there were no podcasts and there was no social media, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have met, we wouldn't have had this conversation. So God bless the social media gods for that. But at the same time, it, it ain't all pretty. It ain't all roses. Yeah. There's some, I don't know if you've gotten some, but messages and comments that people are very bold. Right. You know, online. Right. And how often people forget that we're humans behind the accounts. Yes. I'm trying as much as I can. Like when I see an account with somebody who's like doing really fucking hard work, like do you follow Dr. Shabazz? Okay. I'll I'll send you her stuff too. I don't know her. I really want to know her because she's fucking kicking ass out there. But I sent her a message today and I was like, I just, you don't need my approval or my comment, but I just want to tell you, I see that you're working hard and I want to thank you. And I think people don't recognize like this is fucking free labor. (laughs) Yes. A lot of us are doing this because we want a culture shift. Right. And that's it. Right. I mean, we'll have paid events or trainings or whatever, but for the majority of us, 
we just want people to be better. <laughs> we just right. want people to heal. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. That's it. Yes. A cultural healing overall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you really want to make sure you leave listeners with? You know, just simply, it's so much easier to choose love. Hmm. It's so much easier to choose love. Hate has to be taught. People don't just come out hating. It's yeah. so much easier to just embrace people for who they are. Mm-hmm. Let go of whatever biases we have and just really see the spirit inside the shell. Mm-hmm. We had Ruth Beard on the podcast. She is an elder in the social work field. And she had a quote that was just so beautiful for me. She said, when I'm in session, I don't see a person looking to be healed. I see a spirit looking to be recognized. Mm. And I said, oh, shit, that's deep. (laughs) (laughs) We see the shell of us as humans. We see like how we respond to trauma or to systems and you know, we call them positive or negative or whatever. But at the end of the day, we are just like spirits or energies. And we really just want to be happy and safe and be loved and love at the end of the day. Right. And we should all be able to do that authentically. Yeah. Right. Wow. We've got a lot of work before we can get there, but I'm really glad that you're doing what you're doing. Would you drop your handles and your website and all that good stuff so people can find you? Sure. If you are looking for therapy, you can go to www.radicaltherapycenter.com. That's where I practice. It's a group practice where we prioritize folks with marginalized identities. So people of color, queer folks, immigrants, anyone with a marginalized identity. We say that we created that space for folks like us. You can also follow us on Instagram at Radical Therapy Center. You can go to www.melanatedsocialwork.com. We are four male social workers of color, ending the stigma of mental health in Black and brown communities, changing the face of what mental health looks like, and fighting for Black liberation and to dismantle systems rooted in white supremacy. Shout out to Josh, Jesse, and Michael. If you want to book us there, you can also do things for that on the website too. Follow us at Melanated Social Work. And then for me individually, I don't have a website just yet, but I will very soon. I will be, um, uh, my Instagram handle <laughs> at mtoliver underscore LCSW. Yeah, check it out. I always tell people to scroll through first because I am quite radical. So scroll through, make sure you vibe with my information and then click that follow button. Or if you don't vibe with it, follow the fuck anyway. Just keep your mouth shut and read. Mm, Honestly. There it is. Seriously. Because, I mean, that's how we change is by being challenged instead of just staying in our silos. Yeah, absolutely. It's not all serious. I do do some funny things, too. I actually just recorded a reel earlier today. So um, check that out. I'm also excited to say that I'm going to be doing a TEDx talk. You are. Congratulations. Spring 2022, that will be out. It'll be the most vulnerable that I've ever been publicly. So I'm very terrified, but I'm also um, happy to kind of kind of share the message. So have you already recorded it or are you just in the midst of writing it? So I recorded the audio of it. So I sent that to everyone and I had some folks in my community kind of look it over, make sure it Mm. looks good, it sounds good. So I'm going to finalize it hopefully very soon. And then, yeah. Mm, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's just been a delight to meet you and talk with you today. And I appreciate all the work that you're doing. 
It's been great here with you too. I love the work that you're doing as well. Let's stay in touch. Let's. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks to Marvin for being such a great guest today. If you'd like to learn more about Marvin, you can find more information on www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Clunder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, to Liam O'Donnell for the album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.